<laughs> okay. I repeat. I I heard the first time PM in 2007, maybe 2008. And I felt an attraction to that. And then I say it with fear and joy. Um, I saw a picture of you, Clinton. And I saw, I thought, I can't go there. <laughs> I can't do this. And I feel the same thing every morning. And, <laughs> and no, then, wait, wait. Ingrid, we've lost you. I'm back. Oh. All right, part oh, two of the, of the story, the next installment, stay tuned. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, say, say, the, say it again after you... After you saw the picture, then what happened? Yeah, uh, what I int I got a story in my head. I, s I interpreted the face as there. He is dangerous. Um, he, there is irony, maybe even cynicism, cynicism, and. Mm -hmm. And I was not ready. I was simply not ready. Um, and now, now it's, I feel the love of it all. I feel your love. And however your box might be or might have been, <laughs> the, the love The love touches me so deeply. I'm so grateful to be here in this group and to that finally I'm seeing you. And if I stay well enough, I want to come to Poland to meet you in real. Wow. Okay. We'll save a place for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, I, I will be good enough. <laughs> okay. I was thinking that the way you became ready was to become ironic and cynical enough yourself. <laughs> yeah, you are right. You are fully right. And to appreciate being cynical yes. and and, and Anger, angry, and and real, and not to hide, and so my gremlin and my box and everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go make explosive fireworks just to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You have to take over. Okay. I'm just laugh all the time. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hi. Any? Hello. 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 Wow. Any any reports on your edge experiments? 
Well, I'll report shortly because last week I wasn't there, and I and I I receive your love both through Clinton and through energetically, and I took me a couple of days to get better, and it was a yeah it's the kind of liquid state that I like to go through about every three years where I just have this fever for three days and nerve pain for three days. I burn everything, and then the next day I just wake up and I'm this new person. So I do that about every three years, and and that was one of the time. <clears throat> so that that's my report on my on my last week edge experiment. <laughs> I have a report in San Francisco. A group of us have started a possibility team, and our first experiment was this one called New Spaghetti Rules. And so for those of you that don't know it, you go to a restaurant that serves some kind of spaghetti and there's just two rules. You cannot use any forks, spoons, knives, or any other eating utensils, and you cannot feed yourself. So we picked a a restaurant in San Francisco that coincidentally was named Amano, which I was told means by hand. Yeah. <laughs> so we were we were only following the rules that they laid out. And this is one of those um it was like a kind of fancy restaurant, but that has family style seating. So the tables are all pushed right together. So the four of us we sit down and just incredible amounts of fear oh. running through our bodies, like like oh, we're gonna get kicked out. We're gonna like we're looking around. Is anybody going to notice? And and so that we start eating just really slowly and we, we start realizing that that no one cares. Everyone else is just too busy looking good, being interested in their date, or no no one cares about us. Uh thankfully the the, the people right next to us, it's empty at the start. Uh but then the waiter comes over after a little bit, and because we had placed all the eating utensils in one big pile in the center of the table. <laughs> And he comes out wordlessly without looking at any of us, without saying a single word, just puts down new sets of eating utensils, just just clinks them on the table, like clink, 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 and then walks away. And so we're just frozen and and just like, okay, we, we definitely got the message, but like, but like, how bad is it? Do we have to stop now? Do we like wait for them to like kick us out? And and eventually I just kept watching him and he wasn't looking at us at all. And so we just started going and then we burst through this bubble where I said like, okay, I'm just going to shift. I'm just going to shift my being completely to where this is a hundred percent. Okay. And then we really started going, we started experimenting with different styles of feeding, not just like, you know, into the mouth, but the trough style feeding. Of- <laughs> You're just like eating out of somebody's hand like this. And then, and then this elderly couple and these, there are two, it looks like their two grandchildren come in and they sit down right next to us. And the rest of the meal, I can't even look at this, this really gentle, nice, kind old man is just, I'm just like facing my, my friends, but I can see the grandchildren out of the corner of my eye. And it looks like, uh, it's their grandson introducing his girlfriend to, to his grandparents, and they just they just keep like like just <laughs> dragging like what are these people doing? But they're but they're smiling, they're smiling really warmly, and we eventually we we wrap up the meal, 
And then uh, when the waiter comes over to give us the the check, he just has this huge stack of napkins and he just <laughs> puts them on the table and then we pay and then we go. <laughs> Did you all order the same kind of spaghetti or was there like clam spaghetti and... We had like spiral spaghetti. We had long noodles, and then we had um, the ones that you can put on your finger. (laughs) (laughs) the The only style of feeding we did not dare do was was dangle a long one like into somebody's mouth. We we, that was too too far. The best. (laughs) What about leading the tramp like? Two people with it in their mouth and then coming together. Oh, we didn't. We didn't think of that one. We were, we were <laughs> doing our field. Could have pushed your comfort edge to your marshmallowzone. Thank you. Thank you, know. <laughs> I still remember when I did that eggs work experiment. I did not do it in a public restaurant. I was at home with friends. <laughs> not in a public uh, restaurant. Uh, somehow, somehow my box didn't realize we could do it just at home. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I missed that. There's a third rule. There's a third rule. You can't do it at your home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Rec- highly recommended edge work experiment. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ireland go. All right. Well, I I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the laughter, but mine mine might not be so funny. <laughs> um. So, um, my edge work experience uh, experiment was to take a group of 13 people through um, an experience of um, facing their mortality through a death experience, but to claim claim their aliveness. And throughout it were um, uh, challenges to say where they're not alive and uh, working with the distinction that fear of death is about fear of not having lived. And so we had a, a real immersion and... And in the end, uh, the people went through a symbolic uh, kind of death experience. Um, and the fear was super high, super high the whole time. And, and, um, that fear meaning yeah. the fear or the fear of everything? Uh, mine was, mine was super high. I was holding space, but. Had the technology just doesn't do really well with all this stuff. Not with high levels of fear. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well okay. then, someone else. Anybody else? I don't know if they can hear us. Yeah. Can you hear us? I started decluttering. And it's it's been great to have a team to do this, to keep on track. And I was thinking, well, you know, I'm I'm having this month and I'm I'm just sorting out stuff and it's kind of also re- relaxing to not do so intense processes also. <laughs> 
<laughs> then I had this process with Janet and I sorted out three books and we, yeah, landed in on medieval battlefields and <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's being, it's, it's intense and, and I'm astonished how much identity is tied to old stuff and giving it away and really having the space to feel the feelings when, when giving it away is, is deep. Are those feelings or emotions? Well, mainly emotions, mostly. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I just, Erlen, I see that you're you're back in. We want to hear the rest of your um, <clears throat> experiment. But I just want to say to what you're saying, Eva, is in the fear club that I'm holding space for right now, a couple of days ago, we, we did this experiment of bringing objects that we just started noticing in our, in our house. And then to you grab the object. So this is not something that I particularly noticed, but it's here. You grab the object and then you let your fear be more present about this object. And then you say, hello, fear. What do you have for me, you know, in connection to this object? And you just let the fear, you know, come. <clears throat> so this is, this is a mushroom and it's, Okay, I'm afraid of this mushroom box because it's called flow state. And even if I know now, I'm still afraid that is those um, hallucinogenic, you know, how do you say it? Hallucinogenic. Yeah, hallucinogenic mushrooms. And Clinton puts this in his in his coffee in the morning. I mean, um, and I'm I'm afraid because it's it's something else that we have to carry. It's pretty big, and we have to carry it in our in our in our pack and and actually this fear of carrying stuff in my pack is i realized that i i have too much in my pack right now to to carry really stuff all the way back to vietnam and i'm gonna have to you know i want to kind of like ever declutter and 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 i love everything that's in my pack and and so i'm afraid of all this feeling that's going to come up when i'm going to have to choose and and throw stuff away or give away those feelings are emotions <clears throat> well some of them are emotions and and then the grief you know the sadness of giving stuff away is more of a feeling and and i but i realized in this experiment of doing this with object is that there's all this stuff that comes up that's actually numb it's like we walk around in our life and not it's we just it's just as a habit of n numbing ourselves and these objects are these gateways to what's going on, what's going on right now. And, and especially to, um, anyway, the experiment in the fear club is try one thing. It's like, follow your fear, like radically rely on your fear to, to, to move, just move as a way to basically have this relationship with your fear where you say, I trust you, or I'm listening, or I'm, I'm really listening. It's not like, I'm listening and I'm not doing anything about about the information that you're giving me. Yeah. Mm. And then follow it back to the source and do something about it. Yes. Either if it's a feeling, it's a action, and if it's an emotion, you know, it's a healing process. But I really what I'm discovering is that there's so many ways to go through emotional healing process. And one of them, one very really powerful one, is to go through emotional healing processes with a space holder. 
But for example, I give this example in the fear club is there was this woman who got her, her daughter's Swiss knife and it's a pretty big Swiss knife. And she was, had this emotional fear about this Swiss knife because actually her daughter wasn't afraid of it. She was afraid of it because she didn't know how to use the knife. Hmm. And, and somewhere, and somehow, you know, she would sort of try to block or protect her daughter from using the knife because she's afraid because she doesn't know how to use it. And I said, okay, well, one of the healing is you ask your daughter to teach you how to use it safely. Hmm. And immediately there would be this mother daughter connection, which would be closer to a woman, woman connection where it, actually the daughter is is teaching something and also technopreneuria phobia healing that that a woman actually learned how to use knives so i think there's these ways of actually following if you follow the the you know whatever the feeling the emotion of fear there's different healing processes possible not just you know formal ehps um with a space holder yeah and for me it's it's really working to, you know, sort out their stuff where it's really clear that just has to go out. That's there's no emotions attached. And then there's this heap of books where I notice when I take them in my hands, there's emotional charge with these books. And then make us make a heap, have have a space holder from my team, and then just go one book after the other, <laughs> and let the feelings and emotions come up. And then I noticed also I need the fear because with some of these. After, you know, going through emotional layers, there was still this fear left that told me I don't want to, you know, put this in, uh, put them on the street. I actually want to either give them in the possibility, possibilitator book library or let them circulate with women here in my circles where the books can be used more than just standing in my shelf for 20 years with not being opened. And but yeah and then they're somehow still close or they're in the circle they're just moving around in the circle yeah. so i needed my fear also for for that for making those decisions <clears throat> yeah thank you and one more thing i am finding out about fear is that this having spaces stuffed up or you know just stuff lying around it's it's also this gremlin purpose of being able to be in this constant state of being a little bit annoyed about stuff lying around and and it clogging up the energetic flow and and it's actually the fear of just being because having this space clearer and sorted out and you know energetically clean is scary it brings up this fear of higher intensity of perception or presence or being. Yeah. Thank you. You might become Japanese. <laughs> How does that work? You <laughs> <laughs> have to go to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you want to say something? No. Erlen, go ahead. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I was just touched by that about decluttering stuff. And I, I don't want to talk about the whole event because I could for days. But um, 
my this is a this is a new creation and it's the second time I've run it but it was the sec- first time I've run it for people who knew what they were coming to and so people were really on board and 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 the and the fear in the group was really high my fear was super high this um electricity in my body i felt as if i was um uh, surfing do you know when uh, when you're working really hard to surf and then you catch the wave and then the wave is carrying carrying um carrying you i i had that experience of um this really big support pushing me through the entire thing and um when you were just talking about, about getting rid of things one of the most powerful things that i found in the event was um we sent we sent everyone out into the bush to sit for 2 hours and say their goodbyes to everyone and everything including the things they thought they were going to do in the future or the grandchildren that they thought were going to have and like saying goodbye to all of it, all the expectations, even the people they're in a fight with, but say goodbye to all of it. And they came back absolutely um, liquid. And, um, and then, and then um, we invited, well, we gave them the, the task to come up with five to seven things that they, feel make them uniquely them in this lifetime and this wasn't pm it wasn't a pm experience but there was some woven in there but um so exploring like what what five things make you uniquely you your your patience your humor your blue eyes your your boisterous laugh your collected knowledge on uh, craniosacral therapy whatever it is the things that make you uniquely you. And then it came back and we did a living will where they had to stand in front of people and actually give those things to someone. So they could give them to someone in their life or they could give them up to echo or creation to give to somebody else. And so then they had, so then they were divesting of like how special they thought they were like their specialness. And um, it, it really broke people open in a way that I was, I was hoping for, but I didn't expect how, how deep it went. It was really, um, it was exquisite to see. It was really exquisite and, and just saw everybody melt into this glob of humanity. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I want to do more. Wow. Thanks. I want to share something. I did this experiment this week about uh, asking for my team for a work to give me possibilities about a work talk that is on my edge. And so one of the possibilities to do a work talk that is about next culture nomad. Uh, Clinton, you spoke about it a little bit last time about creating all these kits. And I noticed also um, we're we're building a a new rage club with, with uh, Claire Thompson. And I noticed that in our rage club that we wanted to create, we weren't on our edge. So something in that, like people, there was only three people kind of wanting to register. And, and so for me, it was incredible. We did this conversation, me and Claire, and we just in, in this conversation, we went to our edge, like where is our edge about it? And we realized also that we need to do two work talks before this rage club is happening. And for me, the, my edge is about, distinguishing between my my unconscious anger because someone that anger is is really his primary emotion like his go-to feeling and emotion so to distinguish between my unconscious anger to my conscious anger about being 
been because really my unconscious anger was about new age culture it's like i'm surrounded by new age culture like every kind of ceremony even every kind of uh, you know new age practice and i and i see the mess in that like i'm really close to the mess that it's created like distracting people and um and yeah a lot of shadow world is going on in these practices and communities and so to remove to just like what is my unconscious anger about it and what is my conscious anger about what am i doing how am i like opening doorways for people and and that's how i created this uh, work doc it's about becoming an ex culture nomad and escaping new age and modern culture and it's happening uh, next week on monday so it's in the pm event group if you want to check it out thank you thank you thank you I mean, uh, as a hint for a spaceholder in this edge is like, it's just like you said, <clears throat> if you're not at the edge, it's not alive. And then you're a teacher. If it's not, if you're not at the edge, then you're a teacher. And, and it's like, okay, people have been to enough school. Like, why would they come to another school? Then you get people who want to be in school. If you're not at your edge and you're being a teacher, then you get people who want to be in school. And so, for example, when, Door, you said what my edge is uh, to distinguish between my unconscious anger and my conscious anger. And then you make a work talk that's not about that. Then I'm suspicious. Like the work talk, actually, the introduction to Rage Club would have to be about exactly your edge, not the solution or not the answer that you found to your edge. It would need to be about the edge. And you go in there and I, I would be suspicious that would be there would be a lot more to discover about all the facets of your unconscious anger. Turn towards yourself, turns towards others, resentment, expectation, aggression, being right, you know, making other people wrong, wanting to be superior. God, there's just this immense, you know, domain of unconscious anger. And I, and I think that would be closer to people. Uh, that would be a lot closer to people. And yes, in the background of your conversation might be this you know, this context of the next culture nomad, maybe. But the, the work talk would actually, anyway, would be probably more alive and more interesting if you actually brought your edge right there in front of everybody saying, this is, this is what I don't know. This is what I'm researching. We should change the name around. <laughs> Let's talk about the work, talking, talking while you're working. You're actually working in this space. You're balancing on this edge in the space. And that there's where the aliveness comes. And there's where the real questions from the mm -hmm. people come. Because if you're, un if you're uncertain, you know, if you're not in a safe zone, then they can offer their questions, which are also not from their safe zone. And that's, that's there you have a discovery speaking space. And that's so fabulous to be in. Thank you. Thank you, Dor. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. And Chloe. Appreciate Chloe. it. What did she, she say? That was it. She just said, uh, edge talk. Yeah. And too. <laughs> I want to bring something to this space that is alive in me right now. I am feeling a lot of anger because I realize how 
sexuality is a trap that I am in. And it's a trap because I don't really know what is this space of sexuality with another person. And now I feel sad because there are so many layers of shoulds that me as a woman live through. It is... There's so many violence, so so much violence coming through sex. Violence that came from my mother and my grandmother before her. And I carry it. And there's this level of sensitivity where a man's anger comes into a woman's body, into my body, when having sex. And I don't know what sexuality is. I don't know because there's this construction of what a woman should do and what a man should do together in a space. And my sadness is that there's so much sensitivity in me. (laughs) And I have felt it every time I laid with a man or every time a man looked at my body and I felt everything. The thoughts and this disgusting thing of of ownership about my body and there are so many layers I don't even know anymore what is mine what belongs to my mother what belongs to my grandmother what belongs to the other women I don't know and I don't know how to be with a man I don't know what what's okay and what it's not okay and I'm just so tired of this space and of being hurt and allowing myself to be hurt in this space and I don't want this anymore I just I'm so tired it's I feel like I'm allowing this dirt to come into something very precious that's inside of me. (laughs) Something that's inside each and every woman and also every man and I'm so tired of this. (laughs) And it's... I have this sensation that this is so sacred and so special and I just keep on fucking letting this dirt, this trash getting on me and I don't want to do this anymore. Ha <laughs>
this week I um, was talking to some men and like five men I talked with and I was, they were sharing stories about, I mean, I guess we were just kind of having casual conversation about being like partnership and intimacy and relationship with the opposite sex. And I noticed all of them had these stories about women being like manipulative, controlling, revengeful and attacking. So I was asking them about this and it about their fear. And I heard from them that it came from their experiences relating with the opposite sex, but also it went deeper than that. Um, one person shared that they had, they had a fear of their mom of being abandoned because their mom had died when they were really young and that played into, or that, um, yeah, somehow it affected their interactions with partners. And then another person said that they had fear of women and like relating with them because they had, they're scared of fighting because they used to be a boxer and they got hit a lot. They're getting hit by men, but that made them scared. And I was just noticing this common thread of suspicion. And I noticed it within myself. Like I feel that way. And Sonia, what you're saying is uh, it made, it resonated with me. Like just, there's so much fear and so many stories. And I recognize that it's, it's coming from both sides. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Sonia, I just want to thank you for bringing this up in this space. We circle around this topic of sexuality regularly in this space. And, uh, and it has a reason. And the reason is because in my opinion, we're working together, exploring together, inventing archiarchy and a new culture. And the experiences that you were relating, Sonia, are directly from the capitalist patriarchal empire of modern culture and uninitiated condition of men and also women in the culture trying to enter or explore what sexuality is, mostly carrying stuff from pornography and just broken, broken neurotic um, thoughtware and experiences from our parents, etc. And so, what I really encourage people to do about sexuality is to start each day actually by you know cavitating you know new space and open it up and you walk right in this space and zip it up the back there's a whole great website about cavitating cavitating cavitate space called cavitate space and and you and in that space you're free of all this stuff from the local culture, the advertisements, the programming, the insanity, you know, the possession, the the evil, the dirt, the the anger, and you're just free of it. But then you're in this space of 
archiarchal sex sexuality and you don't know what that is and then the idea is you don't let anybody close to you who thinks they know what sex is because because they're coming from modern culture and so so the idea is is to like okay you you're in a new domain you walk down the street you're in a new domain all the shit from everybody doesn't come into your space because centered grounded bubbled different culture you're walking through life in a different culture where you are inventing archiarchal sexuality you're inventing it where you take radical responsibility for inventing how you want it to go actually and then you then you get to start over and in that start over condition you can protect the sanctuary that you that you created you can protect it by not by not in, no, just not granting uh permission or granting any power to um, somebody who thinks they know what sex is whatever somebody coming from the patriarchy and so okay what does that mean in terms of how do you find partners or something like that and yeah that's a different question but if you start with you know yourself if you start with cavitating space of a new culture and a new form of sexuality that you are discovering that you're inventing and you make it the way you want it then anything anything different from that is forbidden you know it's just like no just get out forget it it's over not going to happen and you you make that clarity that you're you're not your life is about inventing a different kind of relating than what anybody else knows and i would i would really encourage everybody to do this because it's it opens up whole new territories like you said that are that that are blocked by the arrogant stupidity of the capitalist sexuality, you know, the patriarchal sexuality thing that we've all been grown up in. That's so insane and so, you know, sick. It's distorted and it's just so awful. And you get to start over. And, you know, that would be a great place, an edge work experiment, Sonia, to start doing work talks about that is, is to go into what is next archaeological sexuality. In what is that? What could what would that be for different people like that? I <clears throat> I would add sort of an experiment in this, which I've been doing for the past five years, and it was an offer made by Clinton in our space of relating, which was in the patriarchy women were so were so well trained to be slave and to be sex slave you know and that's what partly what you were talking about sonia you know part, being owned and being and it's about uh you know it's about what they want you know it's about when they have an orgasm it's about their pleasure it's about when they want it how they want it men meaning and so and we've just been trained in that and so for me to before I could actually 
really be safe to say what I want, what I want, what I want, what I want in a se- in a in a space of sexual intimacy. Okay, I had to learn to do that with my clothes on. It's like if I could not do that with my clothes on, forget about doing that in one of the most you know, um, you know, sensitive or 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 scary or edge as you know sexual intimacy. And so the the deal that Clinton and I made, you know, it was an offer is, okay, for a while, however long it takes, it's it's what I want as a woman. So it's like, I, I, I want to go out. I want to turn right. I want to eat this. I want to, uh, you know, go to the beach. I want to talk about this. I want to go work. I want, and really, I want, and I want, and I want, and I want, and it took me, a few years to be able to live with that intensity of I am responsible for what I want, like to have that agency over and over again. And I could feel so much of this, God, would he decide for once? Like, I don't want to decide anymore. This like, oh, I don't want to decide anymore. And Clinton would just be, no, no, you just wait. You would just wait. Until you said, I want you to decide. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, could you decide about this? You know, I want you to decide about this. And then it was instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I I really encourage that sort of like step experiment to just go in your life and notice the intensity of of the agency to decide not, not as a victim, you know, not because it's what they want, not because... You know, it's what society uh, think is appropriate. Like none of that being like, what do I really want now and now and now and now? And I think then it it's a natural movement to bring that into, um, you know, in an intimate and sexual space. Thank you. And I want to share one of the edge experiments I did in the Good Girl Busters training about sexuality. Because one woman brought this documentary, it's called Strip Down, Rise Up. And it's about a woman who works with women to reclaim their erotic power. To, And she uses pole dance to do that. So this thing that is actually coming from, you know, total patriarchal setting of sex slave woman is the sex slave and and she takes this this tool the, the pole and works with women because training that gives them strength like it brings this physical strength and um the um how do you say that Re- relying more on their body's strength and at the same time re- like unleashing this erotic creature that is inside and and it opened up to me this total new perspective that part of the patriarchy is also that as a woman I trained myself to hide also my you know the way I actually would like to move or if I want actually to leave my hair open but I just don't do it because it's too dangerous I I have this perception of moving in the streets in, a, in certain ways is just too dangerous as a woman. And so I shut it down. And, 
And what, so my experiment in that week, after I, I watched this documentary, I went to a pole dance class. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very much afraid that it would be this, you know, um, only certain body shapes are allowed and it's very standard beauty ideals or so. And it wasn't, I was really blown away that it, it, I mean, it was a clear choreography and it wasn't this wild thing yet, but I got this idea of, you know, training a beginner's class and then rent the studio on a Sunday afternoon with a few friends and just go wild in that studio and yeah, and reclaim our erotic power. And it's, it's like the feeling in my physical body is just amazing. It's really this, my, my, my spine went and, you know, things that have been stuck for all this time, suddenly just energy was flowing through again. And so, yeah, I can recommend pole dancing. <laughs> you become a race car driver with the hong horn honking race car driver. I, I want to add something that I really, I want to be recorded for other people to listen is that a couple of years ago I was having a conversation with two male friends and it was this conversation about here in Portugal around a certain age boys uh, have fun uh, touching girls at school they just run after girls and they touch them on the breasts on on wherever they want to and this is normal and we were talking about this and I was trying to explain how it felt for me to go through that and at a certain point I I asked them what is it that you are most afraid when you cross someone at night on the street and they both said they were afraid of getting robbed and my biggest fear is of being raped. I'm not afraid of someone stealing my things. I'm afraid of being raped. Every time I see a man coming from the other side of the street, this is my fear. And I, I think that it's the fear of m most women. It's not of being robbed, it's of being raped. I mean, so, so when, you know, I, I realized I was, I'm, I'm afraid of dogs also, you know, I walk, if I walk alone on the street, I'm afraid that a dog was going to come and bite me. And the other day I was walking alone and it was pouring rain and I was waiting for Clinton to pick me up and I was walking and walking and I started having this story of, God, there's going to be a dog. It's farmland everywhere. There's going to be a dog that's going to come and bite me. And then I realized, okay, I have this story because I don't have as an identity in me that if a dog comes, I will just kill it. You know, I don't have it in me that that is, that is what needs to happen in terms of my safety. It's my life with their life. It's going to be their life. They're attacking me. It's going to be their life. And to, and when I uh, started being in this, you know, identity and just, you know, seeing things that I could, you know, the barbed wire or whatever, anything that I could use, you know, that to, as that part of this identity, 
that if anybody, you know, if a dog touches me, that is the, that will be the consequence. And I think this is the kind of identity that would help women, you know, in terms of you touch me, you know, you come close to me, this is the consequence. This is the consequence. And, and you know, to learn to break nose, to do boxing, jujitsu, you know, learn all these techniques. There's amazing videos on YouTube for self-defense. You know, when, if a man, you know, grabs you by the neck or grabs you by the arm, there's all these techniques for how to work, you know, with your force instead of against their force. And to, it's, it's like to, to go to one of these classes, to learn that. And then you walk down the street being, you know, if any, if any man comes close, whatever their size, whatever their strength, I can get out of it and, and not, and not ever be a victim of that. And I think that would be the start of, you know, an, an archaeological woman culture walking down the street, not just when you do your emotional healing process or when you meet as a woman's circle. Walking down the street, there's an archaeological woman's culture. If, you. if, you know, in the labs that we're delivering pretty often, we do the carrot exercise, which is a way to learn to break man's nose without them being able to stop you and like sonia in the school if that was the consequence if if somebody came by to try to touch you and you broke their nose how often would they keep doing it i mean i remember in the homeschool class with my older daughter she she came home from this kind of homeschool thing and she said there's this guy and he just keeps bothering me i said here's what you do she said i tell him to stop you know, I, whatever. And he just keeps bothering, you know, bothering me. I say, here's how you kick him in the shins with your, with your cowboy boots. You kick him right in this part of your leg that hurts the most. And she, she practiced on me. You know, I put a thing around my leg and she practiced, I, she just didn't move anything. And then she just kicks my shin and, and I had a protected leg. She came back uh, the next day from the school and she said, I did it. She kicked the guy in the leg. And it was so funny because by next week, they were friends. They, there was this ability. They could relate to each other. It was just like, because the guy knew he was going to get kicked in the shins if he was an idiot. And there was a whole new level of connection that they had. And so I think, you know, if 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 I was running a school, the first thing girls mm-hmm. would learn is how to break the, kids, the boy's nose, how to break his nose. <laughs> It's like, it's just so fast. There's nothing you can do. And how many noses does a guy have? You know, so it wouldn't take long before the behavior changed. And boys are like that. Really, you got to hit them on the head with a stick before they change their behavior. Seriously. I mean, I raised two daughters and they were amazing. And it was so fabulous. And I started doing workshops on how to raise kids. And then I moved in with this woman who had boys. And, and they... There were, I could do nothing. I was powerless. I thought, I thought they were broken. You know, they were just spiteful, vicious, destructive, unlistening, you know, kit, you know, things, animals. And I realized that I, it was just the difference between girls and boys, that there was that big of a difference. I just immediately stopped delivering child raising courses because I had no idea about how to handle the boys. But that I really, 
really this, this nose breaking thing. And, and like, and Chloe's talking about breaking fingers, mm-hmm. you know, sticking thumbs in the eye, biting the neck and twisting your teeth. There's so many things you can do immediately that would, that would make things stop and then run. You get out of there. So please learn that stuff. Mm-hmm. I recently had an experience at a hostel where I got up at one in the morning to go to the bathroom and there was a man out there who started coming towards me and something kicked in and I used my anger and my groundedness and just yelled at him. And I said, stop, I want to go to the bathroom, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I was- but then another woman went to the bathroom and he went after her and she just fell to the ground like a victim. And, and he ended up, you know, he didn't hurt her, but he ended up touching her at some point. But I just, it, it was interesting how, you know, having that presence and anger, use the use of my anger was a, that I was able to, then walk to the bathroom. I was scared, but I didn't show it. And I walked to the bathroom and I did my thing and came back and until I saw my friend get hurt or get chased after. But I really do. I, so I, I really do think that anger is walking with and using, having your anger present and, as you're centered really right. is also even just walking down the street, people can read your energy. Mm-hmm. And I have another question, actually. Um, it's about the experiment about asking for what you want, women asking for what you want. And I've been work I've been working on that experiment with men. And I find that even if they agree to what I want, they, I have not had um, a good experience with them honoring the agreements, and I, I'd like to ask for possibilities. I, what what I've done with that is I've just gotten used my sort of clarity more and more and more, and it helps. But it's still, I still don't feel like I'm really being listened to. Does anybody have any possibilities around that? I just want to make one distinction, which is there's a huge difference between asking for what you want and saying what you want. And and that difference would be the edge. You can, yeah. You're saying what you want, not asking, because then the power is over there. If you ask for what you want, the power is over there. If you say what you want, you're in the game. You're like, well, I don't actually ask a question. I say... I I say what I want. And um, and, and for, for me, the possibility would be to say what you want and then do it. Do it enthusiastically and do it, you know, how much your being wants to do it. And if he's, you know, annoyed or irritated or passive aggressive, say, get out. Get out. You know, I and you get to and, you know, I don't know if you would say that, but it's like you get to miss out. You know, I'm having a, a great time. I'm being alive, and, and you're going to do that? Get out until you're ready to grow up and be with me. There's this condition in negotiating where if you make a proposal and they don't accept it, and they make a proposal and you don't accept mm-hmm. it, the deal's over. And it, 
if you have your sword of clarity out looking for that time where I make an offer, you don't like my offer, you make an offer, I don't like your offer, there's no, the conversation is over. And just to be clear, like being annoyed or being, you know, not having your attention or being passive aggressive or any, is, is an offer. It's a rejection of, of your offer. But it's also an offer saying, let's do gremlin feeding. You know, let's have a fight. Let, and you're saying no. You know, you're also saying no to their offer. Yeah, thank you. Good perspective on the gremlin feeding. Okay, this, this whole conversation is this next paragraph in the book, which is called Stay at the Edge. We're, you know, we're working with these three steps of edge work, which is find an edge, stay at the edge, and do edge work experiments. So we're at this part of the book is on page 226, and it's just says stay. Can we add one more thing? <clears throat> go. There's also the process, the difference between I want this person to be X and this person is whatever they are. Um, projection or expectations. I, I'm hearing a shadow of that. Like, I wanted him to be this and he wasn't type of thing. And Mark, I run into that a lot. Mark, yeah. would you, so I think it would really help for me to sort of be connected with you and hear you if instead of reacting to what people are saying, you would actually be sharing what your edge work experiments are. What are you trying? You know, what is what is working? What is not working? What are you noticing? And I'm and I haven't heard a lot of about that. Massages at donation. So whatever their financial means is, they come and they get massage, and they only have to donate what they can. I've had three people so far take me up. One gave me a donation way more than I expected, and the other two didn't provide anything. That's my experiment. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the thing of saying, I want you to change, or I want you to be different, this is non-negotiable in a way. It, because thinking that you can change somebody else is... Like, I don't know, trying to change your mother, just like it's people don't work like that. So if it's clear that I cannot change you or I cannot change the other person, I can still say what I want. And if they're interested to interact in in the way that works for me, then that that's fine. Like I, I was at a training, a lab in Poland and a woman who said, I want you to address me as they. I want you to, I, you have to call me they instead of her. And I said, I'm not going to do it. Not interested, not even a little bit interested in being in your religion. You have a, some belief system. I don't know, whatever, whatever that is. I'm not interested. No, no. She goes, you have to, because it's socially adept or it's like, it's politically correct. correct. You know, because if I want you to address me a certain way, you have to do it. I said, no fucking way. I get to decide. 
So if that doesn't work for you, the door's over there. And it was the first time in her life that her gremlin did not get to run that trip on a space holder, I think. And she stuck around for the full five days of the training. So uh, it, there's that kind of thing. It's like, if, you know, she doesn't get to change who I am, I don't get to change who she is, but she can decide and I can decide how it's going to go. And so that's the, that's the level with this, with like, Phyllis, what you said, the sword out, you know, you just keep that sword out. It's not just a sword of clarity. It's a sword at the throat. It's a sword. And, and if they come close to you, they kill themselves just by walking on your sword. And so this is thing about not, having any anything you know any strategy to change somebody else but keep negotiating like that thank you mark clinton i I want to say something to just what you said related go ahead can i I have not much knowledge about this um, situation, but we have also the discussions here in Tamera. And I know one, two, three, four people who have this issue with being not she or he who have this fluidity. And um, I somehow, I, I try to respect where they are and that there is a possibility that they don't need to be addressed as she or her, which is somehow for me feeling like a a patriarchal box we put them in. And um, and I I'm not really understanding now. I can say also it made me um, I could could feel some anger coming up how I heard you talking now. Um, because for me, it doesn't feel like the people are only just having a Kremlin feast when they want to have them called differently, like the he and she from patriarchal, the options from which patriarchy is giving us. And I also, I, I recognize in me when I see the, the little uh, children growing up, how much I only can think in he and she. Yeah, and this also, for example, is for me where I'm where I'm getting just like crazy because I I don't want to think like only he and she because patriarchal system gave me only this option that when I look at the boy with pink clothes I think like hoo, 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 he might be gay no no exaggerated but I can only think he's a boy because he has a something hanging between his legs yeah and this is and. I, I, I have somehow an assumption that in this space where we um, think about a new culture, yeah, I have an assumption <laughs> and oh whatever wish expectation that we that there is more openness for if somebody comes and asks for can you call me day? Yeah. What what culture do you live in, Angela? Good question. So I do not live in patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I moved out of patriarchy a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I live in archiarchy. It's and when problem. you call her she, then you I define her as 
I usually as a, people, a female person. I call people soldiers. I call them pirates. I call them wizards or sorceresses. I call them anything. In our mm-hmm. in the culture that I live in, this is people do not have to fight against being called certain things because because we're because it's playful. And so but, a person Clinton, who can you wait, no wait. A person who lives in patriarchy may have to try to defend themselves against those kinds of classifications. But I don't live in that culture and anybody who talks to me and assumes that I live in patriarchy are not respecting me. So if they want to be yeah. respected, they can respect me also. Mm. I think it's not about not respecting, but maybe I don't get it. Why? Why then the word she um, is no is the only way to address this person? Yeah, I just told the, you that in, in the culture that I live, it is not. Yeah, maybe I don't get it. Makes well, me sad now. I could also. say, I want you to. I want, every time you talk to me, I want you to say Abkadevki Jakubmanapker Stuvixis. Before you mm. say anything to me, mm. does that work for you? Um, I think I would first need to know why you would do this, want me to then do you, this. Then, no? you live and in the world, then you live in a world of reasons. If people can have a good enough reasons to manipulate you, mm. then you will then you will be okay being manipulated. Could be. Mm. I'm not of this one of these persons who have this issue, so I don't know how to um how does it feel uh, and maybe I try to respect um but you get it Angela it's not about whether you have the issue or not it's about are you willing to be manipulated you're just being adaptive you know. I'm going to move the conversation. Yeah, maybe maybe this, the conversation is really that I'm still living in a patriarchal culture because I see that there is the patriarchal wound. Yeah. And um, who gets I think to it decide would... which culture you yeah. live in? Who gets to decide which culture you live in? It's me. Why are you still living in patriarchy? Yeah. Well, what's the answer? Uh, it's, uh, I think, more comfortable. Wow. Okay. In any case, thank you for bringing this up. I'm going to move it to Johannes. I think he had something. That you mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank Hot. you. Go ahead, Johannes. I'd like to share f- my experience from a longer-running experiment. Uh, the experiment is that every time I see one of these beggars in front of a shop sitting there begging for money. I take a trolley, put it in his hand or her hand, and enter the shop together. And it's up to the one, to the man or the woman, to decide what to buy, and I will pay. And... um Last week, it was the first time that this experiment bounced back because, yeah, when Clinton said you can't, ex- uh, you can't educate other people, it, um, 
there's also this this idea of me educating someone else in being thankful to me to be a part of going to the shop and there's one paying for me. And now it was like um, I had to negotiate what what to buy or what not or what to pay. And if someone takes a chicken for five bucks, it's okay. If someone takes a bread, okay. But what if he decides to put in some caviar or some uh, sport shoes for 20 bucks in there because the discounter has an offer for this? And it, I learned then um, from this experiment that I have to negotiate and that I'm also allowed to say, okay, this is not your daily need or whatever, but this is too expensive for me. So if you if you need the washing powder for five pounds, okay, washing powder you, you take for several weeks or whatever, but it's up to me to negotiate. And I discovered that I am learning from this kind of experiment at least the same amount or the same um that yeah it's really experiment for me and um yeah and it's very interesting that to discover what what i really feel afterwards and this time i really felt thankful for one uh, that uh, taught me or taught me how to negotiate through mm -hmm. such an experiment Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Johannes. Wild experiment. Wow. <laughs> and a very interesting rule is do it every time. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. It was about the fourth or fifth time. I'm, I'm stopped counting, but do it every time. And yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Ingrid. I want to ask Angela something. Um, could it be, Angela, that the difficulty about the day or the sympathy to, to try with the day, it has to do with unconscious victimhood in yourself. That in a way, Unconsciously, you are connecting to the victimhood of the other person about society. And that is the reason you would like to try it. That, uh, I, that was the question I have for you, Angela. Mm -hmm. A very good question, Ingrid, and I think this is quite close to what it might be, yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Katarina, what about you? Well, um I'm still <laughs> still reading and um, actually talking here is uh, 
an edge experiment, like talking, um, and I tried this this week also, um, talking to people that uh, on a subject that I don't know much, and they all know much more than me. For me, it's an edge experiment. <laughs> and I'm trying to do it most of every time I can. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Katarina. <laughs> I want to say something. Laura. Yeah, because I will I will go after I say this uh, to a friend, um, and I just want to I just I want to speak in this space, and I want to tell you a new decision, you all a new decision that I made recently that I'm here, I'm available for relating with you, and I will speak my clarity. So yeah, look. I look forward to relating. It's a valuable resource that you're sharing. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Great. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay, see you. Thank, thank you for the space. I want to say something briefly. I um, want to say also. I want to celebrate that uh, in a situation where usually my gremlin would freak out and just start a fight with you, Clinton. Um, I had a feeling now I didn't, yeah. and uh, this I really want to celebrate because usually I would just have a discussion with you, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yay! Thank you. Thank it's, you. Just good for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Grumman transformation does work. Jeff and Zanet, I got to hear from you guys. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't in, in this conversation about the you know pronouns, I I saw that there's an edge that we're actually we were on and and it it's it it's like some part of someone wanted to just move on. And it's not about like is it okay or not okay, but I see an edge of like what is this really about? Like, because I, I, I moved through the world through, I think the world that, that door referred to of this, of new age, blah, blah, blah. And this is a big topic that comes up very often. And ironically, someone walked in that has this context. So interesting. Um, and so I, I don't know how to, how to I don't I don't know where I stand on it I really don't like sometimes I think to myself well what would Clinton do and Clinton would do exactly what, what you just said and so I'm like I'm not gonna play this game with you and and then but then I lose the I lose the I lose a possibility of connection somehow I, I know that it's not the only option um but yeah this I think this is a really important a context relationship that that a lot of that a lot myself and a lot of us da dance in and i would like to i would like to 
have a space to explore deep more deeply. And this is Sonny, by the way. Hi, everyone. Hello, Sonny. Hi. I had a question coming up as I was listening to 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 that, and and the question I I also felt anger. I felt angry when I heard Clinton. You say I'm not like that. You were not available for that, and I recognize this part of myself that also would want to say that. And then this question came up. She wants she wants to have something that you're offering a space shared with other people and where she can gain more wisdom. So she has something, you have something that she wants. And so this question came up, is it a, is it an equal uh, meeting of when she says, I want to be referred to as this. And then you having something that she wants and you saying, I'm not available for that, for that. Yeah. This question came up for me. Just to, in, as a matter of fact, she asked a lot of questions in the space and got answers to all the things that she wanted. And so that that was happening perfectly. But it's really like maybe you have not been around religious fanatics, but a religious fanatic has a belief system and they want you to go on your knees and do weird little things with your face and drink this and 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 then they'll talk to you then you're one of them then you're then then you're a human being to them otherwise you're unforgiven a sinner a devil you know from the other sect you know like all that kind of stuff so it's a kind of religious fanaticism and you know people some people like to be in a religious a religiously fanatical space i i don't particularly so it's i think it's a personal choice so if, if you like it, go ahead. If you don't like it, don't go ahead. But you have, then you get to decide what you like rather than being adaptive about it. And and to be an asshole, to be a a conscious asshole. I mean, I recommend people reading through the asshole training website. And it's a there's some. It's about radical responsibility. It's about being present to to a very fine degree of choosing what what's working for you and what's not working for you in negotiating in holding and not and respecting yourself as much as you think you should respect someone else. And so that thing about how, how well are you respecting yourself? I mean, this is, we're back to Sonia's conversation about sexuality. You know, how could you possibly let somebody do this to you again and again? You know, okay, well, that's not respecting yourself, right? Go, what do you want? What works for you? And then, and then hold that in a space and walk through the world like that. And you're inventing a radically responsible culture. So archaearchy is very diverse and in that way. And it's also really respectful in that way. And so. I it's a I I love the conversation. So thank you for your question, and I hope you keep investigating, doing experiments. Does that help? Thank you. You're welcome. I just want to say that 
I have this question often of like, I'm in a situation and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, what would Clinton do? <laughs> and I thought of having a t-shirt that would say WWCD or something like that. What would Clinton do? I would wear it. I, <laughs> I, would, I asked the same question. <laughs> Thank you. Anything else before we... Dawe. Dawe, go. I I don't have clarity around this, but I was just thinking, you know, is the distinction around scanning the point of origin of this ask that it's religious fanaticism? Because I was thinking when I go to visit my relatives who live in Taiwan, you take your shoes off at the door. And it doesn't work. If I ask myself, does it work for me? No, I I prefer to just keep my shoes on. That that works for me. And And I felt the fear that because I could not take the stance that that Clinton takes to not to disregard what somebody asks about pronouns. And and I also could not take the stance to just walk through my grandmother's house with my shoes on. And at the same time, I don't know if I, if I scan her, I, I actually cannot tell whether it comes from her being this, this ask about the shoes or, or whether it's just been passed down for who knows how many, who knows how many thousands of years. And and so that's all I have to say is I, I feel that fear that I, I would just still keep my, sh- I would take my shoes off. Mm-hmm. Well, Dawe, what about having that conversation with her? You know, you know, just say, look, I'm exactly what you just said, mm-hmm. you know, and then what, let's talk about, can we talk about this? And you can talk about your need to keep your shoes on and, and then her need to take your shoes off may be irrelevant or maybe real. You know, and, and you could just stand at the door with your shoes on and they could bring your noodles to the door and you guys could talk at the door with your shoes on. I mean, you can work things out. So I wouldn't just brush that one off. That would be a great conversation. I mean, that's the point, I think, for all of this is to have the conversation and to and to respect yourself as much as you respect the other and 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 not be adaptive for for social niceties in a certain way that costs you you know i'm i'm adaptive in certain social ways that don't cost me and i don't give a shit about it it's just no big deal like i don't whatever i don't stick my chewing gum under the table when i'm done chewing it whatever so you know so but the point is to like there's an aliveness in a conversation that's relevant like this kind of thing you're talking about that way is so on point, you know, and so stay on the point, stay on the point and have the conversation instead of brushing it over. Like Jeff, like Jeff was sort of talking about, okay, let, you know, somebody brushed over this conversation. Well, yeah, because we're, and also the, I've been in that conversation before and it goes on for hours. So anyway, yeah, go. Yeah. I just want to say then, and it, it, it often like ends up to this point of, then I'm losing connection. And it's really when I, I mean, this conversation about being adaptive, it's really about that is like, I'm adaptive so that I can have connection. Well, what kind of connection is that? Yeah. Like you're not even there to connect with. Cause you're adaptive. Cause you, yeah, you're adaptive. And so it's worth checking out this thing of, well, I'd rather be adaptive than lose connection. Well, that is a heavy price to pay. For a connection that is barely not even real. So, yeah. 
what I'm getting from this is, is it's not not about being adaptable and 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 also you don't have to kind of I don't know fight with your grandmother. You don't have you can choose to meet her in the cafe next to your house and then create this conversation. So I was in the I I came to a space in someone's house. Someone invited this party, and then we sit in a circle. We start talking, and then they say, "Okay, now we're all gonna do mushrooms and and breath work." And I'm like, "Okay, thank you, enjoy." And I just love the space. And I, I mean, I I kind of I didn't want to do the conversation about, okay, is mushrooms gonna help your transformation or something? Uh, right now, at that moment, I was my negotiation was okay. Now I leave, but later. Maybe we meet around the village and we talk about it. So it's, uh, I didn't, I, I kind of, I wasn't adaptable at that moment, but I also wasn't kind of black and white. Like now I'm going to bring, like burn all the bridges here by just like stating out what I, I don't know. So there is, there is uh, possibilities. That's what I'm trying to say. There is possibilities to keep connecting and, and make it even a door. Thank you. Ingrid. I, uh, um, I had a talk on Sunday with my husband and he said to me, he was in a deception about me and he said to me, you hide it yourself. And he was fully right. I said, I agree. You are your anger is justified. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, and now I don't hide and you don't like what you see, but that, that's me. You need to decide if you want to relate to me or not. And he decided yes. He, so, and he was really for several days, he, he said to me, I laughed after that about that. He said to me, I tried to hit you and I was not able. And I felt it energetically that this happened. And, but I brought him with my um, behavior to the point that he could choose if he wants to hate me or he wants to love me. And he decided for love. I don't know what this brings in the future. It's not the point. But he 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 sees I'm not hiding anymore. And that is is the point relating can happen now. And it happens on Sunday. Thank you. Recall that the second step of edge work <laughs> is figuring. Recall that the second step of edge work is figuring out how to stay at the edge, not to simply touch the edge and go back. So this is stay at the edge. We talk, we touch edges of our box and go back to our marshmallow zone 
10 times a day. And don't think that the goal is to go over the edge and quote unquote, get out of the box. This is a standard American phrase, you know, out of the box, because you cannot get out of the box. Did you ever meet anybody without a box? Neither did I. So what I'm saying is, you know, you've met a lot of people. I've met a lot of people, gurus, teachers, saints, whatever, box. Every single one had a box. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's a box. The image of getting out of the box is linguistic slate of mind. Slate of mind. It's a wordplay on the, a phrase called slate of hand, which is a ledger, ledger domain, which is it's just this fake magic. It's like if you move your fingers fast enough or their attention is over here and you're doing something with your other hand over here, you're fooling people. That's called slate of hand. And this is slate of mind. So it's linguistic slate of mind that you could imagine somebody without a box. You may have met someone with an expanded box, a box that was bigger than your own. Yes, but we all have a box. To successfully engage in edge work, it is enough to go to the edge of the box and then stay there. Developing an ability to stay at the edge of your box will take significant work on your part. Because you have to deal with fear, because you have to deal with rage, because you have to deal with grief, because you have to, because you have to deal with the unknown, you know, and, and not knowing. There's so many things to deal with at the edge. And also your joy, actually. Yes. And if it's not okay for you to actually be ecstatic in your life, then also the edge will, you will bounce back from the edge. So to do that work, it helps to observe and gain familiarity with your box's particular strategies for in avoiding the intensity of staying at an edge. So uh, everybody's box has strategies for avoiding the intensity of staying at the edge. If you don't know what they are, then you think they're real. And th then they're not strategies. They're actually necessities. But if you can see that it's a strategy, then you get choice about it. You can choose to not uh, act out that behavior. Strategies can involve creating physical, intellectual, emotional, or energetic complaints. So one of the strategies to make a complaint and even a combination of several kinds of complaining mixed together. You know, this is too much. It's, you're always doing this. Or I, you know, there's never enough. Or why, why do we have to always do it this way? Whatever. Let the seconds tick by while you continue. So this is a hint. Let the seconds tick by while you continue to tolerate the intensity of staying at an edge without complaining. Because complaining blows off the energy. Complaining like, diminishes the intensity of being at the edge. It distracts you. It distracts others. Ooh, so, wait, so, so just let the seconds tick by while you continue to tolerate the intensity of staying at an edge. Every second counts. One, you know, one, uh, a big hint is the complaint can come even just in a sigh. 
oh. All right, rolling the eyes. Just the, oh, like this. That's already this complaint that is, that has taken you off, off the edge, and it just blows out this energy. That was it. That was it. I just because it's um and it's it's it, yeah whatever. We were researching it with Angela about this being offended, mm-hmm. and it and this this being offended it comes with this oh, like why isn't it easier or what? What does it always have to be like this? There's all these huge stories that come with this. Oh, like that. Anything about what we just read about staying at the edge? I mean, I want to add something, which is a number of possibilitators in the possibilitator training program are, are confronting their addictions. And a lot of the addictions are not just straight alcohol or smoking you know, tobacco or marijuana or something. The addictions are these inner addictions. These are low drama addictions. They're addictions to beating yourself up or being a, adaptive or being a nice person, you're smiling. There's addiction to worrying, worry, for example. So many inner addictions and they're facing into the, the addiction part of it. The part of it is like this, whatever it causes in your energetic, emotional, physical, intellectual system, whatever, whatever the behavior causes, that sensation is addictive, becomes addictive. And so what that means is, is, is like you feel you're it's so uncomfortable to not have that sensation in your body that you go do this thing again just to get the sensation back in your body. And when working with addicted people, I, I, I was working with this guy who, Ken Wines, who was actually the space holder for the first training I was ever in. And I was I was demanding to know from him why he could not stop smoking cigarettes and killing himself. And the answer from him was he's been trying for years to stop. And when he's smoking that cigarette, it is a moment where he thinks he's giving something good to himself. He's, he's, he's doing something good for himself. That little moment, taking the time out, you know, just being with his cigarette. And, and it was like that thing about giving a little something good for yourself is part of the addiction thing. And there are people who are, and I, I feel so proud of us really that there were, there's people of us who are on twice a week or more on in 12 step telephone call groups, group calls with in the 12 step program for violence, for example, there's a, um, it's called, what's it called? Violence Anonymous. Violence Anonymous. Thank you. And, and they're in the call with the founder of Violence Anonymous, this guy who's holding space for this in the world as a game world. And they're in this call with him and they're in this relationship with this total game, global game world builder facing their addiction to inner violence about you know, I'm a, I'm bad. I'm not good enough. I'll never make it uh, all levels of violence out, even to physical violence. And so it's so important to put that on the table that in these devilish kinds of inner conflicts of how to change or how to grow up or how to become centered, grounded and bubbled and present. And these addictions come up and it's this capacity to put that on the table and go, okay, in this instance, I'm powerless. 
and I need some some tool. I need some team. I need some help uh, to move through this because we're, you know, these kinds of things we cannot work through ourselves. Nothing in possibility management is is designed to confront the addicted that addicted part. So we're using the technology that is that is designed for that, which is this twelve step thing, and it just is working for people so much. We get daily reports from different people progressing on these steps, and it's fab- it's just fabulous. And I I think I I mentioned it in a in a call a couple of weeks ago, but in this addiction, addiction has so much intensity. It is so the experience that comes with the addiction is so is so intense, and I think this is one of the hooks that we keep going back to and it's the edge also has an intensity and it's to not confuse those two kinds of intensity. Cause if you're the, in the intensity of addiction and you think, you know, which could also be, you know, an addiction to an emotional, you know, what Clinton was talking about is a lot, an addiction to an emotional state. There's really, this could be intense, um, you know, excitement, intense uh, anger. If you're, in a, you know, addicted to low drama, intense this, victimhood, this arguing in your head, <clears throat> and and sort of what I notice is that it's possible to get confused working in possibility management. That if you're feeling, then you're doing edge work. You know, then you're healing or you're at the edge because of the intensity of the emotion. And actually, these addictions is completely, you know, off the edge. It's completely in the marshmallow zone of this comfortable, you know, this really comfortable safe zone of arguing with yourself. Yeah, arguing with with yourself or other people. Yeah, the intensity of that. And and really, I think part of the the healing, one of the initiation of the addiction, is to really start distinguishing between the intensity of the addiction and the intensity of the edge. And actually, it's yeah. the intensity of the edge that we're avoiding but with the addiction. Yeah. Could it be that the addiction of uh, the intensity of the addiction is in a way a known place? Yes. It's, it's, uh, uh, so a part of the distinction is that I know exactly where I'm going, where I'm looking for the intensity, but at the edge, I don't know what will happen there. So, uh, and maybe to intensify the addictive intention, I put layers on that. I smoke and then I beat myself up because I'm smoking, I'm a bad person. And those are layers of the addictive intensity. I, I am discovering about the addiction because I, I have addictions that it's not about the thing to which I'm addicted to is that, um, there's addiction per se it exists and there are several different layers to this addiction and some are more subtle and others are more intense and as i go through 
the gremlin work, the gremlin transformation, I'm discovering several layers. So before I was smoking, now I stopped smoking and now the addiction to food reveals itself. And then behind the addiction of, to the food, there's the addiction to the, to, to the, to beating myself up and, and I keep on pulling the thread and the main thing is the addiction and it doesn't really matter what I'm addicted to. I'm addicted mm-hmm. and I am pulling the thread to see where this addiction is born. Where, where did it start? Because I was aware since a little child that I, I can get addicted easily. So there were certain things I, I did not tried because I knew there was this capacity to to stay there and and be there because of the intensity so there were drugs that I would just say no because I was aware of this but then there are other things in which I stayed addicted to thank you I want to say something I've been in a huge Huge liquid state since Monday night. And I did a huge past life process. It was so horrific. I I don't think I could have made it up, even though I thought I was making it up. But the outcome of it is my job is to call beings home and to see where, help the person see where they're split off from their being and their energetic bodies. And I'm a lighthouse that does that. And when it's intergenerational, it's like an avalanche that's gathered more mass and it becomes a demon from an entity. And I worked with someone yesterday and the shift was so amazing. I've seen him quite a while, being in Narcotics Anonymous, and I couldn't quite get, couldn't get the traction. Anyway, through the shift on Monday night, I was able to ask, when did you split off from this part? And out came all this history. And what did you put in place of that? And he could tell me, describe it, and he could describe it. So for me, it's not why the addiction, it's why the pain and possibility management does have tools. But reclaiming our energetic body and calling back our being. Mm. Oh, thank you, Janet. Yeah, thank you. Janet, we discovered a, a very kind of new process called centering the being. So it's something different from what you're talking about. However, it might be complementary, like a next step. And it's really about, you know, basically moving the point of origin back into the being instead of the addiction or the survival or the, and um, so there's a website called Centering the Being. I'll put it up there. There's a couple demonstration video to see how the process goes. And from what we've noticed, it's it doesn't have to be a very long process. Like if it goes into an emotional healing process, then then you can do that process past life or childhood or but actually centering the being is it's like it it's a na- there's a natural movement for us to do that. The intrinsic movement 
to actually let the being be at the center of our life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll put it in there. like to share um i feel a lot of fear to share this but it's somehow yesterday was a day where i was really lacking in, in presence and and slowness and awareness and sana was calling me out over and over again and in the evening it got to a point where I just, I had, it's like a breakdown moment. And I created the strategy. My gremlin created the strategy of saying, well, you, you usually call me out, but yesterday you were slicing me. And I was like convinced about this. And this, this is how I took myself off the edge of just sitting with like, why, why am I? what what am I doing right now? Like what is really going on? And and I, I I was able to finally after a long time to catch it and I think it was this morning that I said that I realized like I if if for, for my gremlin, for my box, if I'm not on a pedestal, then I then I don't know how to relate. I have a hard time relating. And it started with my mom and my my aunts and that I was always like the, such a beautiful boy and so handsome and so smart and so this and so that. And it was always like this. I was being praised and, and like all basically like, 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 like this to my whole childhood. And so when, when a woman comes along and is like, no, no, no not like this this is not working i'm just I, at some point i i i had i had this moment of breakdown and and then and i'm i'm on the edge of this breakdown and then and this was how i was pulling myself off of it and i i think the fear of sharing is because i don't know if i even said that to you of like noticing it but i yeah I did, and I, at some point, was like, I can't, I can't use this strategy anymore. Mm. It's fucked up. Thank you, Jeff. Erlen, go ahead. This, con this conversation has made me so liquid. Um, yeah, the the piece about um, Clinton, the piece about staying on the edge that you just read about and then going into the addiction bit, it's like, you know, what I discover is I got my first addiction at, at eight or nine years old. I'm really aware of it. It's um, um, I treat it as an addiction. You know, people will have medical diagnosis for it. Um, it's, it was called trichotillomania. It's now got all sorts of other names, but it's compulsive hair pulling, which is why I have, you know, almost no hair. Um, you know, at, at this age, my hair is, you know, my hair is not regenerating. But, um, you know, so that started and, and my exploration with it has shown me that like my, my thing is like when you're talking about staying on the edge, 
I, I, um, I am one of those that I touch the edge and whoa, and then I retreat and I touch and I retreat and I touch. And my addictions are about retreating from the edge. Like, like this is what it is. It's like this, like going back in and, you know, the, my, my hair pulling started as a total like intimacy, self-soothing. And when you say it's like something good, I give to myself. It actually really, I do have that story that actually it's something that helped me survive a very loveless family and home with parents who weren't up to it. And, and it, it was a way of me taking care of myself because it actually was not painful. It was extremely pleasurable. So, um, but, but I see, like, I could list so many addictions, but there's this yo-yo of going to the edge because I have this hunger and, and, and directive to go to the edge because that's who I am. And then this retreat and then the retreat. And it's like, it's not even just taking a step back. I'll take 20 steps back and I'll plunge, but then it's like, it creates this uh, drama in my life of, of, of back and forth. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm already liquid from my weekend, but now this is like really, really touched me and, um, kind of blowing my mind a little bit. So thank you. Thank you, Ireland. There's a couple people, Ellen, would you say something? Ellen, I don't, it was the invitation for you. Can Sorry, I'm like, yeah, here I am. Thank you. I feel a lot of fear around, and that's, that's just rising in me, I noticed, and speaking in that, because I had the the story that I, I'm not addicted, or I'm, I'm ex- in, on an acceptable level addicted, addicted to some things. Like food is the big one for me, and I know food is has been used in my childhood in, um, yeah, in 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 praise or in in doing something good or, or rewarding. Yeah, rewarding is the word. And um, it is like a demon that I tolerate and that's there, but I have never really faced the pain of it in consciously. And, um, yeah, I'm just noticing the fear rising and, and I'm really touched with your sharing Evelyn and and Janet as well. Um, the the deeper waters in it, and um, yeah, I'm just sitting with that at the moment. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. And I feel the sadness of it now. Yeah. She's really alive. Yeah, I mean, Ellen, uh, this 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 thing about not facing it alone or not trying to face it alone. I mean, 
the first thing that just happened is like you're talking about it here and then okay then then get yourself your team you know get into the, a, a group who's talking about this or a three cell or really it's about getting a team around you who's on the same part of the path right now and just get realize that you're not alone with this stuff because we really can't like you said it's like it's like the addiction even if it's just food like the addictive part of it is this demon then and the demon comes to cover up the fear of whatever and it's like okay well this is this is how demons are sly you know the the whole whatever the demon is it comes in and covers i'll do it for you i'll come in and just cover up your fear oh great thank you Whoosh. And there, then all of a sudden the demon's running the show. So it's it's a big deal, and it's really a teamwork thing. Thank you. Thank you. I just briefly want to share one other thing I have um, committed to a um, edge with my husband of um, saying I want start as many sentences that I can think of that are there with I want and I've miserably failed so so quickly and so he keeps reminding me what well, now is just waiting for me to reframe a sentence and I just yeah it becomes more and more a pain for me to to notice how how little I can say I want and and really come from a place of actually me, I, my being wants something and use that conscious angler. And I'm so grateful for that. And another edge is that we started a, a stop, go um, process. And that was, it was such an awakening for me to see it's around sexuality, but it's for me to see how how much fear came up in my husband. And I thought I was alone in this. So it just created so much connection and so much um, presence for both of us. And we're far away from having sex, but we are we are so intimately relating and building that intimacy with it which is so beautiful. I just so love that. So thank you for that. It's just so rich. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for your experiments. I can tell that next week it's going to be exciting because the next section is called Edgework Experiments. <laughs> so... Now that we're finally getting to the edge, you know, it's just remind ourselves the whole reason we're having this conversation is to enter extraordinary relating is to depart from ordinary relating and enter extraordinary relating. And that's where Edgework, that Edgework is the key for the extraordinariness. And Ellen, you just really beautifully painted the picture of that, how that works. So the Edgework is this, is entering the extraordinary. So I just want to read the first two sentences of the section. It says, we have already been considering edges 
Let us now consider experiments. I love this <laughs> To experiment means to try something about which you cannot with certainty predict the outcome. So this is what we're up to. And this is extraordinary. Automatically. Does anybody have anything before we wrap up our space today? Hi, I just want to say hello. Hi, Hannah. I'm a new I'm a new face. Oh, you pronounced my name correctly. Thank you. Um yeah, I was invited here to, by I really wasn't <laughs> trying to say your name correctly. I was not being adaptive. I wasn't trying okay. to be right. I was not trying to be nice. <laughs> just saying hello. I'm very I'm very glad to hear. I think you you're probably in Europe because people in Europe seem to get seem to just know how to pronounce my name. Anyways, hello. Archiarchy is a weird culture because it's nomadic and it can occur in the most spontaneous weird places. Right now it's happening in New Zealand. But I'm New Zealand. Okay. Good great. Well, I just wanted to say hello because I'm Where are you calling from? Um well now that you've distinguished Archie how Archie, what is it? Archie. Yeah, um, I'm probably there too, cause I, cause, um, yeah, but I'm, my, my butt is seated in Santa Cruz, California. So. <laughs> nice. Cool. Nice place to put your butt. <laughs> yeah, right, right in front of the heater. I had to, yeah, I'm sitting right on the floor at the heater because it's cold. <laughs> but yeah, I just um, wanted to say this was really great. I'm glad but to be here. Hear, how did you hear about us? We're um, I heard about you. I know. I think uh, I, I'm just blessed somehow. But um, Jeff, who's here from Costa Rica, I was in Costa Rica for two months and I met Jeff there and he told me about it. And I've I've um, yeah, I've been connected with other people who who've been in this work. And um, and I'm, I'm a curious kitty. So okay, curious kitty. You should talk to Dawe. He's right here. He's doing a cool okay. thing. They're going to deliver an expand the box training in San Francisco in April, I think. So get a okay. connection with here. And uh, there's a team <sighs> there of brothers and sisters who've been waiting to meet you. Okay. So, Beautiful. They'll be, they'll be serving spaghetti. Don't <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. wear your nice clothes. Right? And go for go for this one. It's <laughs> the advanced edition. <laughs> yes, they serve it. You don't touch them. They serve it. <laughs> okay. Thank you everybody right. for being here. Thank you very much. See you next week. Have a great time experimenting. Go. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm ending on